Welcome back to the Fraser Rice Podcast. Today we'll be speaking with Marisa Arandando. We're going to talk to her about the launch of her skincare line, Face Bioactive. We'll also hear about her background and motivations to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. And then we'll hear about the rewards and challenges of launching a new skincare line. Welcome aboard, Marisa. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Terrific. So with Face Bioactive, which is your skincare line, how did you know what you needed from a product and how did you discover how to go about formulating it? Well, first of all, I created Face Bioactive because I personally suffered from really terrible skin issues as a teen, acne principally. That came back in my 20s. And so this is very much a labor of love. I've wanted to solve my own skin issues. And so I knew that when I was graduating from Stanford and I went to Wall Street to work as a biotech analyst, I knew I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about the science of skincare because I had tried everything. I had done the buff puffs and the soap and the benzoyl peroxide and antibiotics, retin-A, corticosteroid injections, Accutane, you name it, I had done it all. So when I went to Wall Street, I spent 12 years working as a research analyst investing in cosmetic, biotech, and dermatology companies. And it was as a function of meeting heads of R&D scientists, essentially. It happened at Merck Pharmaceuticals in New Jersey. I learned about the importance of pH balance, not only in anti-aging, but in producing healthy, radiant skin. pH is fundamental in formulating a product and in protecting your own skin and maintaining that acidic pH of your skin. And that's when I knew I was onto something. And so I started testing pH and using products that were pH optimized for my skin, and I started to see the results. And that's when I decided I was going to take this a step further. So when you were in the midst of your Wall Street career, did you have this in mind the whole time? And were you having secret evil plots where you're saying, you know, I'm going to, I've got a business, I think, here, and was the career, the background in, the, in Wall Street sort of preparation for it, or was this more of an evolution? No, this was, it was, I wouldn't say it was an evil plot, but I would say it was a plot. (laughs) Right. Nothing evil (laughs) about it. When I went into my interview, I remember at Janice, which is where I spent six and a half years, uh, you have to meet every single person at the firm when, when you get hired. And in every interview, they would ask, well, what do you want to research? What are you interested in? And I said, "I, I want to start a cosmeceutical company. And they would look at me funny. And they're like, what the heck is a cosmeceutical company? And I said, I want to research cosmetics and pharmaceutical companies because someday I'm going to create a skincare line. That works. So they just looked at me like she's kind of funny. And um, I had a very good background in science. And my major at Stanford was science, technology, and society. And I've always naturally gravitated towards the sciences. So to become a good biotech analyst, you not only have to be good at doing business models, meeting with management, R&D, et cetera, understanding the entire food chain of a company, but you also need to understand the science. So I came from that angle. So they always knew where I wanted to head, but I needed to learn as much as I possibly could, both from the business side of things, uh, as well as meeting the top doctors in America and going to the American Academy of Dermatology Conference and really learning the science. So it was kind of a mutual experience that I would do as well as I could at these firms and gain the skills I needed to ultimately go where I wanted to. But it was never, I wouldn't say it was a plot. It was really a plan that had been explained um, from the beginning. And ironically, my bosses at Janus are very much my advisors and the dream team I have helping me now. (laughs) So it's all circle. (laughs) So as as you were meeting people within the industry and developing your own skill set, at what point did you say, you know what, there's a hole here that needs to be filled. And how did you come to that, I guess, eureka moment where you said, you know what, there's a path I can go through here that no one else sees? 
Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it a eureka moment. It was a process because in 1998, I started covering a company called Allergan, which at the time just had, you know, drugs for dry eye, et cetera. But they had this new drug, um, which was a bacteria that was used for neuromuscular eye disorders called Botox. And I saw the real potential for it in skincare, and it wasn't even approved for uh, wrinkle issues until 2003. And we made a very large investment at Janus. So I got to know the head of R&D and the CEO very well at Allergan. And that kind of initiated me into the field of there's real opportunities in skincare, even though it's a, it's a very full field. Uh, in the cosmetic area, I just need to figure out what my angle is. So it was kind of that progress of seeing that potential in Botox before it was really realized in the stock market early. So I knew my bunny had a good nose. And then I, I went to Harvard Business School because I knew I had no organization skills. That angle I wanted to develop. And then when I got out of Harvard, I needed to make some money. So I went back to Wall Street and worked as a portfolio manager at a hedge fund and a research analyst covering healthcare again. And then around 2011 was when I decided, you know what, I've got the capital, I've got the knowledge, I know what I want to do, I've got the confidence, which is what I was waiting for, to go out on my own and try to make it happen. And so that was really, it was a process as more, uh, more than really the eureka moment of now's the time. It was, do I have all of the facets that I need to go? And is anybody ever ready? It's like having a kid. Are you, <laughs> right. are, are you ever really ready for what's going to come your way? And the answer is no. And what I've learned from a psychological standpoint is the less I know, it, it's almost better because if I knew all of the things that could go wrong and how challenging it can be to start a business, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. So in a way, I kind of like just jumping full throttle and figuring it out because that way I don't reflect on the fact that it is an uphill battle every day. I just feel like it's fun every day. I'm sure that's my problem. My lawyer background, I'm, I'm trained, I guess, to look for issues and try to mitigate risk. And that's the wrong attitude to have as an entrepreneur. I, I can see where sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> way it is. Ironically, you'll get slammed in the face, but at least you know you can work through it. It's funny because as a function of developing a business, you get to know lawyers very well. And I know exactly who to call when I feel like things don't smell right. So I feel very blessed in that regard to have people that I can refer to to give me every single doomsday possibility scenario. Right. <laughs> but I don't want to have it in my own mind. I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah. Uh, do- doomsday doesn't, doesn't sell. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's meant to frighten. So you have the science background, but you're getting into real, probably deep chemistry issues. Uh, I mean, actual chemistry issues as it relates to getting the product right. How did you go about that process? And I guess you you, you tap into various scientists, chemists, doctors, etc. to make that work. How did you turn that into face bioactive, basically? Yeah, that's a great question. So, one of the great pieces of advice I got when I started this business, which was from my father, who is a successful entrepreneur. And he said to me, Marisa, to build a successful business, you have to do it with relationships, not transactions. So go around the countryside and meet with different contract manufacturers, meet with chemists, meet with teams, and find people that you can build a future with that will believe in you, that have that same commitment to excellence that you have, that understand the need for getting it right. For example, it took us 87 versions to get my cleanser correct, that they would have the patience and understanding, and that they bought into, this is the dream, and the dream is to create the first line of pH-optimized skincare. So I went to Arizona, California, Colorado, Texas. Uh, I'm not going to mention where I ended up, but I now manufacture in a certain state, and I have a team that's been with me from the beginning. 
And this was one of the most valuable pieces of advice that I received at a very early stage, because if you look at our team at Face Bioactive, it's very much the same players that were there from day one. And the beauty of having relationships as opposed to transactions is that when there is a problem, which there will be many, a relationship will help you solve it. They're committed. Their blood is in the game. They're in it. Whereas a transaction doesn't care. And so it's really important for me on that front to build those relationships. So I created a team of chemists that understand my commitment to excellence. There's women on this team. They now all use my products every day, which is wonderful. And they understood what I was trying to do. They, the commitment to the mission was there. Now, as a function of my job as a biotech analyst, I'm reading clinical abstracts all the time. So I'm very well aware of the science. But you need to be working with chemists that have decades of experience on what happens, for example, when you put niacin in with something else. Well, you know what? It's going to make your skin red. You want to use niacinamide, which is the single isomer version of niacin. So you need to have chemists that have that experience with certain ingredients so they know what's going to happen in the chemical reaction. And they also understand how pH can change and be altered in that chemical reaction. So really finding the experienced team that shares the same values and commitment to the goal that I have was the objective. And what I did was create a team in 2011, and they're still with me. And they've, I mean, they're my greatest support. And they, as I mentioned, that there's several women on the team, and they all use the products. And it's been wonderful. So you got to the point where you had the product, you had the process around the product and what you needed to have to make it evolve as it needed to evolve. So now you're ready to distribute and market and distribute. Take us through that process. How did your background inform that? And you obviously built a lot of relationships in the industry, and I'm certain that was a huge help. But then how do you get what you think is going to work really well for people and get them to buy it? Right. So... This was the one skill set I did not have. I had no clue how to market. I've had no training in marketing. I went to Harvard Business School. This isn't a place to learn marketing. It's not Kellogg. I was a biotech analyst. I'm a science nerd. I had no experience in marketing, and I didn't appreciate that I would play a big role as the face of the brand. I never had a Facebook page. I certainly didn't use Instagram or Twitter. And I didn't, and I didn't name the brand Marisa Arredondo Skincare. So this was something that was a real learning curve for me and tremendously uncomfortable for the first year because I didn't appreciate that what really sells is the story. In addition to having good products, obviously, the story is what people connect with. And my story is very much an authentic one. I had horrible skin as a teenager, and it came back in my 20s, and I really wanted to solve it because the emotional scars from having acne and bad skin still sit with me, and I'm always worried about my skin. And then to be able to solve and understand something that nobody ever explained to me in spite of having gone to dermatologists is wonderful. And now that I see people use my products and I get beautiful letters, it's wonderful. Now, how do I get that out to the world? The one beauty of when I started Face Bioactive is that people were shifting the consumer purchasing was shifting from retail to the internet. And that shift has become even more powerful recently. I mean, so retail to me is dead. I don't think people go into department stores. I certainly don't go into department stores anymore. That coupled with return policies of 30 days that are very easy to use, enable customers to buy a product and return it if they don't like it. Whereas before you went to the department store, you put your finger in the product, you smelled it, you applied it to your skin, et cetera. So that shift in the way a consumer buys a product really was timed very well with when face launched. That coupled with the fact that I presented to Saks and they put me on board and rolled me out in several stores really helped. And then I launched on the web and then I launched on Instagram and realized through, through all of my meetings with different retailers that I had to be the face of my brand. I had to tell my story. I had to explain 
how I got here. And that's really resonated with the customer. And then the final point is that I didn't appreciate at the beginning is that most people that start skincare lines were facialists or were celebrities or worked at Estee Lauder or L'Oreal. I'm different. And what makes me different is that I'm a science nerd. I always knew I was going to do this. I'm very bright when it comes to science. I'm totally passionate about what I'm doing. And I have a totally different angle with pH-optimized skincare. So I use those differences as my assets to carve a niche for me in this market. And it's, it's proven to to have taken off and resonated with the customer. Oh, that's terrific. On a side note there, you, you got established with Saks and then you, you moved on to distribute through QVC and had a great run there. I watched that and I thought it were amazing. And then through Instagram and other internet platforms, I'm sure. How does that work? How do they relate with each other and how do you keep that straight in your own mind? So the beauty of Face Bioactive is pH Balance is actually a lifestyle brand. So... We want to be using mildly acidic skincare on our faces because we have a pH that's acidic on our face. And then internally, you want to be eating an alkaline diet because internally our bodies are alkaline. So I view this as much bigger than a skincare line. But what I did was start with Instagram to kind of get this whole lifestyle feel out there. And I launched a website with a blog called The Face Life to get that lifestyle feel out there. And then Saks simultaneously was launching an apothecary. So we fit in beautiful, beautifully in their apothecaries across America. So that was a great way to get presence. And then when I started sending products to beauty editors, they were intrigued, A, because I was in Saks, and B, because I was this different person. I was the science nerd. And then as a function of getting press, I assume that's why QVC came to me. Um, the beauty of QVC, I always wanted to go into TV. And after QVC, I want to do an infomercial. Uh, the beauty of QVC is that my story needs to be told, and it's a wonderful platform. The CEO really understands that this is a storytelling platform. And obviously, the number of cable televisions and homes is declining. However, they're making up for it with different channels that are now going onto the Internet and broadcasting live on Facebook. So I signed a multi-year contract with them, so I'll be a regular monthly on QVC. And that audience is a beautiful audience because they give instant feedback, as does Instagram, as does Facebook. And so I get email, and as does my website. So I get instant feedback from customers when they get products. So that really helps me to tailor my message more clearly, as well as to develop products that are going to resonate with the customer better, more effectively. So... So my, the beauty of, of the way the world has shifted from consumer buying patterns is that you're, I feel much closer to the customer than I do, for example, at Saks, where, you know, I go and see them once a quarter as opposed to on Instagram, people immediately give me their responses when they see something go up and they immediately send me an email or I get emails on the website or once the same thing, once, once I go on air on QVC, I start getting emails or I get feedback and reviews on the QVC.com website. So that's really, really valuable information because it tailors how I'm moving forward. So when you receive that data, how, how does that work? You essentially take in both the anecdotal and then the numerical data, and then you sit down with you and your advisors and say, you know, what, what what's working, what's not? Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's as scientific as that. I think it's more intuitive. I think my market, originally I was an anti-aging skincare line, and what I'm realizing is there, and I, and I was kind of targeting a smaller demographic when I launched of the 35 to 50-year-old woman, I realize now that my, my market's really 18 to 76. Um, and, the, and, and the reason is you have women suffering from acne, for example, related to hormones, et cetera, in their teen years, but it comes back with having children, with menopause, with um, 
stress, lack of sleep, etc. As adults, I didn't realize or appreciate how big the problem was. Um, so I have kind of that whole segment. And then there's a whole other anti-aging segment that's a little bit higher end that I'm playing into, which I didn't appreciate before. And the reason is our skin is mildly acidic when we're in our youthful years to keep it firm and elastic and to protect from inflammation and redness, etc. As we get older, our skin naturally becomes more alkaline. Alkaline skin is dry, brittle skin. So this is all the more reason you want to be using mildly acidic skincare. So there's a real demand in the older population as well as in this anti-acne population. So I'm really, it's, it's slowly becoming clear to me where I need to be building the business. We've gone from liftoff to getting into the sky from a rocket ship perspective, and you're starting to get bigger and bigger. How do you prepare for the challenges of scale as you try to get the organization right, get the management right, and, and get the resource allocation right? Well, it's such an excellent question, and it's an everyday challenge. By nature, I, I wouldn't say I'm that conservative, but I would rather grow slowly. So I've turned down quite a few opportunities that could have gotten us in a different place much more quickly. And the reason is because I'm involved in every aspect of the business, whether it's the marketing, the distribution, the chemistry, the actual development of the website, responding to customers, et cetera, et cetera. I really want to be in control of where we're going next and really, really understand what the customer needs so I can make her happy. So my approach on this has really been, let's just slow it down. I have sales goals for this year. Could I exceed them? 100%. Do I want to make them? Yes. Do I want to go and get that distributor and that distributor? No. I don't want to lose this valuable feedback that I'm getting every single day from the customer yet. I want to be able to understand exactly what I want to create and define the brand because where I thought we were at day one and where we are today are two totally different places. Do I think it's going to be super different a year from now? Maybe a little. Is it going to change much after that? Not so much. Now, one of the ways that I've grown this business is by outsourcing more. I don't want to be a super heavy 100-person employee business at the home office. I'm trying to keep very good relationships and have things outsourced. And that's just a personal decision. We'll see how it plays out in the end, but but that's that's kind of how I've wanted to I wanted to mitigate having to hire a ton of people. There's nothing wrong, I think, with being, I guess in, I put this in quotation marks, asset light to keep you nimble, especially at an early stage. You don't want to be burdened with a bunch of things and or people that that aren't helpful a year or two years from now. Exactly. And being frugal has helped us get where we are. And so it's it's good that everybody's aware that we are on a budget and I want to grow this methodically. And to that end, you know, one of the CEO and founder of Janice, Tom Bailey, is one of my advisors. And one of the best pieces of advice he gave to me is, Marisa, equity is blood. Don't give it out unless you really need it. And so the way that I started this business, it's entirely self-funded. These are the funds that I made when I was on Wall Street. So when you're spending your own money, every dollar counts. And it's different when you have received a big equity investment from someone else and it's somebody else's money. Spending someone else's money can be a little bit easier than spending your own. No question about so, that. <laughs> you know, I'm very conscious about where every single dollar goes. So as you're building the company and you're good at so many different things within the company, and I mean this in a good way, how do you decide – when to bring in other experts and when to delegate. It's got to be a tough one in some ways for someone who wants as much control as you do. 
Right. Well, the beauty of it actually is knowledge gives you control, meaning now that I've done everything, I know what every single task entails and the exact skill set that the right person for the job will have. So the objective was in learning everything. When I hire now, finding the right person is not a big deal. When she or he has a problem, they come to me, I've got the answer because I've done it. So that was the objective and doing everything myself so that when I hire the right person, I know what they should be paid. I know what their challenges are going to be. I know what skills they need to be. So that was, that was the objective. And it's playing out well because I understand what I can give away here and give away there. But also, you know, they have a problem. It takes me two minutes to solve it. If I had never done it, that could have been a much longer problem to solve and not necessarily the right way. How do you surround yourself advice-wise? Do you seek out mentors? And how does their advice change as your business has gone through its different stages? Well, it's interesting. I go back to what my dad told me early on, which is, and I think happiness in life and in business, personally and in business, comes from relationships. And so the dream team that I described that gives me great advice on this business are all enormously successful entrepreneurs, my father included, uh, that I have worked with. I've worked with my father. I spent uh, six and a half years at Janus, and three of those people were the most senior at Janus, one of whom has started a new firm, a new, uh, very successful hedge fund. Uh, the other was ran the Janus 20 fund, and then the founder of Janus is a big advisor for me. So they've known me since I was 22, and obviously my my dad's known me for a pretty long time. <laughs> and uh, so that experience, having worked with me and then knowing me as a person is invaluable because they know what my strengths and weaknesses are and they're able to really advise me and they've done it on their own. So they're very familiar with the challenges, even though they're all in different industries. Even though it's a different business, it's still a business. So they have been the ones that I've sought out because they've been in all the different stages of business, you know, when it was small, when they got bigger, when they went public, et cetera. So that's really been the team that I've worked with. And then I've learned a ton as a function of being in the business. You know, one of the makers of one of the biggest skincare lines in America came to me to do a deal in November of 15, and we spent three months talking. I learned a ton from him. And so as a function of being in the business, you learn about the business. And then obviously, you know, reading Women's Wear Daily, et cetera, and seeing where everything is going is a big part. But my advisors are really the advisors that I work with from many years ago, from, you know, 20 plus years ago. Terrific. So as an entrepreneur, what things did you feel like you were least prepared for when you finally made the plunge? You go in with all sorts of preconceptions and then all of a sudden, day one, oh my God, what happened? (laughs) Well, oh God, there's so many. Quality control. This is a biggie for me because having come from the financial industry where you're modeling out, you know, how many patients are there? What is the price of the drug? What could the revenues be, et cetera? And it's just an equation. You don't really have the understanding of in making that drug, how are they ensuring that the quality is the same proper quality every time? So I think before I came to the team of chemists that I now have, I had tried out a few others in the very beginning, and I realized that this wasn't going to work because we didn't share the same commitment to producing a high-quality product every single time. So I think quality was a little bit of a shock at the get-go. Now I have all the right people involved that understand do it right the first time. And so that was a biggie for me. The second, I would say, was what I was describing before, the fact that to be successful, 
um, my life had to become an open book. And otherwise, in, in other words, it's a story that needs to be told, and I have to be the face of the brand. So again, as I explained, extremely uncomfortable, especially for somebody that ho- had horrible skin. Even though I don't anymore, it doesn't look like it. I had it. So to be in front of an audience was a very scary thing for me. And, and the thought of being on national television for two hours and eight minutes in prime time, the first time ever in my life, was something that there's no way I would have believed that I would have done. And so so those kinds of things were a little bit shocking, uh, having to be the face of the brand, dealing with quality. The third shocker, I would say, is I never realized, and I don't think I would have done this if I had appreciated up front how much hard work it is to start a business. It's really a 24-7 business. You don't get many breaks. It's always on your mind. But being in it, in the thick of it, it's very fun. It's enormously challenging. It's challenged me in every possible way. I can't get upset when something goes wrong because there's 18 other things that I'm managing. It's like the guy in the circus that's got the plates with a stick. <laughs> you just got to keep all those plates up in the sky. So it's it's tremendous from that perspective to really learn about how to manage yourself in all of this. So, <laughs> so that was another surprise for me. Oh, that's great. So we've alluded to the future a little bit, and everybody wants to grow and go into different markets and things like that. Where do you see your next avenues for growth? Well, I think we're still in the nation stages with television. I think QVC is a really great platform for me to explain pH balance because it's a bit of a dense topic, and it requires education. Uh, and it applies to both women and men. So I really want to exploit this opportunity that I have to get the story out there and to build the buzz. Coupled with that, I want to continue to grow our website. We're actually developing right now a new interface um, that's going to be much more, uh, I would say, user-friendly, not so much in like, obviously, our website's pretty easy to get through, but in really explaining the importance of pH and developing the lifestyle side of the brand. And uh, we have a couple of new products that I've been that are currently in development. One of which will launch on QVC uh, in January of next year, um, or December if if we can develop it in time. Though I'm not sure. And uh, so a few more products that are being developed based on the feedback I've gotten from customers. And then we have one other secret initiative that I think is going to be huge, but we're not going to release that until the end of the year. Well, we'll so I'll come calling when that happens. We want to see <laughs> how it turns out. <laughs> So uh, humor me on one thing. I, I have trouble understanding social media metrics and how they translate to actual dollars. How have you gotten around that and embraced social media as part of your marketing strategy? It, it seems obvious, and I, I like the idea of, of building awareness and so on. But at the end of the day, you're, you're worried about cash flow. And I'm sure you look at your Instagram initiatives, et cetera, and say, okay, how many likes or how many touches or views does this generate, and how does that translate to sales? How have you gotten your arms around that? Well, I view that several ways. I don't think there's one simple answer. From an SEO perspective, having this much uh, data with hashtags like pH balance, pH clear skin, healthy skin, etc., has helped to drive traffic to my website. Can I quantify that today? No, but has it been tremendous for getting me clarity on the internet for my brand? If you type in pH, you're not going to be too low before you find Face Bioactive. So from an SEO perspective for driving traffic to my website uh, and to other retailers we sell through, I think that's been tremendous. Um, Instagram, Facebook is great for building awareness, as you know. And it's also, when a consumer is buying skincare, 
more often than not, she doesn't buy it the first time she sees it. So the more that I post, the more traffic I see on my website. And typically when I've posted on a product like our day cream or the illuminating serum, you'll see purchases on my website that day. And so, and if I slow down my Instagram, I see a slowdown in not only website traffic, but purchases. We have a very high conversion rate on my website. Um, So typically you see less website traffic and less purchases when I haven't posted on Instagram. So there's absolutely um, a correlation. Is it R equal? Is it a perfect correlation? Um, I'd say it's pretty darn close. So the more I post, the more traffic I drive. And so I think this is all evolving. Now they've just introduced on Instagram because the technology is changing an ability to purchase directly from an ad that I create on Instagram. So still developing all of this, but I definitely don't think it can hurt. And I think as time proceeds, I'm going to get more analytical information from Facebook. And as it stands now, I can pretty much hone where I put an ad on Facebook into the age of the customer, the demographic, where she lives, what her like, what she's into, et cetera. I wouldn't necessarily correlate likes with traffic, et cetera, because Instagram now shows you, you know, I got 100 likes on this, but it was seen by 3,500 people. So that's more important to me is how many people saw it because that purchase doesn't necessarily come the first time you see something. You have to see it 15 times or 25 times before you actually go to the website and make the purchase. So all of this is evolving. And I think what's beautiful with the way the world has changed and consumer purchasing habits is it allows a person with a dream like me and that doesn't have the budget of a L'Oreal to actually launch a company on her own and be a really viable competitor against the big boys. A terrific story and one I'm going to be following. It's it's fun to watch from afar. I'm not sure what I need pH balanced products for yet, but if you've got a men's line, <laughs> we've got to check oh, it out. Oh, unisex. Are you kidding, Fraser? When you go to Bermuda this weekend, we're going to give you the eye gel and we're going to give you some day cream with SPF. You should always be protecting your skin, man or woman. Excellent. Well, I'm always a sunscreen guy, so I'm okay on that, but it sounds like I can be doing a little bit better. I'll be sending you some products. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what is the best way for listeners to uh, stay up to date on Face Bioactive and what you're up to? Well, you can follow us on Instagram at Face Bioactive. That's the handle, P-H-A-C-E, Bioactive. And the beauty of following us on Instagram is you're going to learn a lot about lifestyle habits. So, like, for example, today I posted on drinking coconut water, and the importance is really that it's got as much potassium as in a banana. And it doesn't have the same sodium as a Gatorade would have, for example. And it can actually help to regulate your blood pressure because sodium raises blood pressure. So you'll get lots of information on our Instagram as well as Facebook. And then we're at facebioactive.com. And then you can watch us on QVC every month. Terrific. Marisa, thank you so much for coming on and Thank you. This was so much fun. Uh, It's no fair shake to say that uh, it's a really cool story to watch. I, I really like listening to hearing about your company. That means a great deal to me. Thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to Marisa Arandando. Thanks for joining us for the Fraser Rice podcast. We look forward to you listening in on future podcasts as they will be coming out shortly. Thanks again and have a great day.